Welcome to the Redeemer East Harlem podcast. We pray this message leads you both to know and show the love of Christ in all areas of life. We will now dive into our scripture reading, followed by this week's message. Today's, uh, today, God speaks to us from the books of Amos, ver- chapter 5, verses 18 to 24, and Micah, chapter 6, verses 6 to 8. Nakakaawa kayong naghihintay sa, ng araw ng Panginoon. Huwag ninyong isipin na araw iyon ng inyong kaligtasan, sapagkat iyon ang araw na paparusahan kayo. Para kayong taong nag-aakalang ligtas na siya dahil nakatakas siya sa liyon, pero nasalubong naman siya ng oso. O di kaya'y nag-aakalang ligtas na siya dahil nasa loob na siya ng kanyang bahay, pero nang isinandal niya ang kanyang kamay sa dingding, tinuklaw ito ng ahas. Tiyak na darating ang araw ng Panginoon at ito'y magdudulot ng kapurusahan at hindi kaligtasan. Katulad ito ng dilim na walang liwanag kahit kaunti man lamang. Sinabi ng Panginoon sa mga Israelita, Napopoot ako sa inyong mga pista. Hindi, kayo, hindi ako nalulugod sa inyong ginagawang pagtitipon. Kaya kahit dalhan pa ninyo ako ng saisaring handog, kahit pang pinakamabuting handog ay hindi ko tatanggapin. Tigilan na ninyong maingay ninyong awitan Ayokong makinig sa tugtog ng inyong mga alpa. Sa halip na kong makita na pinaiiral ninyo ang katarungan at ang katuwiran na parang ilog na patuloy na umaagos. Sumagot ang isang Isra- Micah 6:628. Sumagot ang isang Israelita, "Ano ang ihahandog ko sa Panginoon, ang Diyos sa langit kapag sinasamba kami sa kanya? Mag-aalay ba ako ng guya bilang handog na sinusunog?" Matutuwa kayang Panginoon kung ahandugan ko siya ng libo-libong tupa at naguumapaw ng langis? Iahandog ko ba sa kanya ang panganay kong anak bilang kabayaran sa aking mga kasalanan? Sumagot si Maikas, Tinuruan tayo ng Panginoon kung ano ang mabuti at ito ang nais niyang gawin natin. Gawin natin ang matuwid, pairalin natin ang pagkamakaawain sa iba, at buong pagpapakumbabang sumunod sa Diyos. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. It's good to be here with you again. Thank you, uh, Pastor Justin, for that kind introduction. Um, it's always good to be here with you guys at Redeemer East Harlem. Uh, always an honor to uh, be here and uh, obviously always a joy to share the word of God with you. Uh, have the highest respect and admiration for not only your pastor, but for what you guys are doing here uh, at this church, in this neighborhood, in this community. And uh, yeah, so love, love being here. Um, picking up in the middle of our sermon series, like we shared, uh, going through a series during these weeks of Lent leading up to Easter, where we're looking at the minor prophets, and particularly looking at what the minor prophets have to say about the day of the Lord. And now I got to say, you know, I listened to the first couple sermons and just knowing what, okay, Siri is coming up with the day of the Lord on my watch. But uh, and anyways, what was I saying? Um, 
So yeah, the day of the Lord, even Apple Watch, you know, is just picking it up. But, uh, you know, it's some, it's some weighty stuff right here. And, you know, I got to say, uh, you know, the day of the Lord, the, the two prophets that we're going to look at today, Amos and Micah, they do not play around. Uh, they have some hard words for the people of God uh, in that time. And this is a hard message. And the day of the Lord. And so uh, we're looking, looking at some hard things today. And uh, these two minor prophets in particular, they had some really sharp critiques of God's people and the way that they were living. And they, have, they had a lot of things that they needed to point out about how painfully short God's people were falling from the calling that God had given them. And now, uh, it's no secret today that criticism of the, the church, God's church, uh, is not in short supply. There's a lot of things to critique about the way that the church is living and looking today. The church seems to be having a bit of a PR problem. Now, of course, it's not just a PR problem as if it's only optics. It's actually a lot of things are being exposed, a lot of corruption and, and rottenness and a lot of things that are wrong, even to the core of what God's church is supposed to be like. And we're seeing a lot of these things exposed. And if you are someone who genuinely loves the Lord, uh, maybe you, like myself, like many others, have grieved at what the church, how far, far, uh, how far short the church has fallen from what God's calling is. Things that are being exposed, things like racism, sexism, abuse of power, sexual abuse, of the weak and the vulnerable, covering these things up. Christian leaders being exposed as hypocrites, as frauds, not practicing what they believe. I mean, these are some weighty things that are being exposed in recent years, and the criticisms of the church have a lot of merit. But, you know, sometimes you have to expose the rot that's going on in order to actually deal with the true condition of what's happening and Amos and Micah are really exposing the rot in God's people to wake them up and to make them realize that something drastic needs to be done. And so, you know, the prophets are saying, you know, you have critiques of the church today. Well, we've been doing this for centuries and for millennia. And so I think they have something important and relevant for us to hear today. And we're going to look at three things. We're going to look first at what God rejects. Second, what God seeks. And finally, where that comes from, what God is seeking. So what God rejects, what God seeks, and where that comes from. So first, what God rejects. We saw in the reading from Amos chapter 5 where he just piles up all this strong language from the Lord where the Lord is saying things like, I hate, I despise your feasts. They're like a stench to me. You know, they, like get them away from me. Get them out of my face is pretty much like what the Lord is saying about all the religious ceremonies and rituals and festivals and all the music and the dancing and all this stuff that Israel is bringing to the Lord as worship. God is saying, I reject this. I hate this. And it's really interesting because that's not what the people of Israel expected. You know, it's like, think about like you're a student and you think, you did so well on a test, and you get it back, and it's like, failed. Or maybe you're an employee, and you're expecting a promotion because you think you're doing such a good job, and, and you know, the assessment comes back. It's like, you are horrible. You are fired. Or maybe in a marriage where you think things are going on so smoothly, and then one day, 
your spouse comes to you and says, I don't know if I can keep doing this. It was a very shocking, jarring word that Israel was receiving, and they did not expect it. And Amos is like, man, you are longing for the day of the Lord. And, you know, their expectation of the day of the Lord was they expected God to come and break into their world, into their circumstances, and actually be the one to deliver them and defeat their enemies. You know, because if you look at the context of where Amos was preaching to in those days, um, Amos preached during a time, uh, during the reign of King Jeroboam II, when Israel, the northern kingdom, was actually prospering. They were prospering economically, and so the wealthy class was getting wealthier and richer. Uh, actually, politically, there was relative peace and stability because one of the major world powers, Assyria, was actually going through a bit of a dip. They were going through some hard times, and so they weren't on their rampage around the nations like they were wanting to do. So there was some political peace and stability, and so Israel was actually able to expand its borders, so territorially expanding, growing, growing in wealth, pretty much prospering in all these external materialistic ways. And so because of that, Israel had gotten very proud and complacent and very hard-hearted as well. Because prophets like Amos were trying to point out how far they had fallen from God's standards and God's ways. And Israel's like, get out of here with that talk. We're, we're prospering. We're doing so well. They were getting too complacent in their success. You know, uh, one chapter later in uh, Amos 6, verse 3, it says, you, bring fa- you put far away the day of disaster as if the judgment is not actually coming. And you bring near the seed of violence. You continue to oppress through your courts, through your justice system, through your business dealings, through the way that you're taking land from the poor and the vulnerable. And you're oppressing in all these ways. You're putting far the day of disaster and you're bringing near the, day, the seat of violence. And so Israel's shocked. How could this be what God is up to? How could this be the day of the Lord? We thought we were God's chosen people. We thought we were God's favored people who he brought us out of Egypt and he brought us into the promised land and he blessed us with the law and the temple and all these good gifts and God's favor is upon us out of all the nations in the world. We're longing for the day of the world where God will defeat our enemies and Assyria and all these other nations and we're going to continue to prosper and grow and in all these ways. And Amos is like... No, you've got it completely wrong. You are under a strong delusion in the way that you're seeing yourself because you think you're so religious. You think because of all your sacrifices that you're bringing. You think because of all these festivals and all these religious rituals and you come every Sunday and you come early and you're, you're giving your tithes and you're doing all these things and yet at the core of your life is something so corrupt Something so rotted. And you know what the prophet Amos is saying here is religion without justice, worship without righteousness, is not only not accepted by God, it's a repulsion. It's, God is revolted by that kind of life. 
if that's what we're bringing to him. Justice and righteousness matters to God. You know, Jesus himself said this in the New Testament where he's condemning the Pharisees. And he says, you're, you're tithing out of your spice rack, like your mint and dill. That's how careful you're being to obey God's laws. And yet you're ignoring the weightier, the more important things, justice, mercy, faithfulness. These are the things that you should be focusing on even more. And so this is what Amos is saying. You know, in the Canaanite, the the foreign religions of that time, you could actually do what Amos was condemning. You could give your tithes, you you could do your rituals, sacrifices, and then in the rest of your life, you could be immoral and unethical and unjust and unrighteous. And it was okay because in those religions, it was different. You know, you just had to do the rituals, the ceremonies. But in the religion of Yahweh, the people of God, Israel, God was saying, I don't want any of that other stuff, that noise, that show. What I'm looking for is a life of justice and righteousness. So religion without justice is a stench to God. And if your theology allows you to ignore issues of justice, then that is a defective theology. You know, Carl Ellis, uh, he was one of the first African-American ordained pastors in the PCA, our denomination. And this is what he said about Reformed theology and certain circles uh, of the church. He said, it's unacceptable to say that one can be theologically sound yet be in error on the issue of social ethics. Our defective theology has allowed much of the Reformed community to peacefully coexist with slavery, Jim Crow, racial discrimination, maltreatment of immigrants, cruelty toward First Nations, etc. You know, Prophet Amos, he's trying to wake up the people of Israel He was preaching to the northern kingdom where one commentator says the Lord's wealth, once spread across the breadth of the nation, is now concentrated in the hands of rich predators. Basically, these people are praying in the temple, and then once they leave, they're praying on the weak and the vulnerable. And Amos is saying there is such a dissonance going on here. You think you're acceptable to God because of your religious practices. And yet he's looking at the life that you're living out towards your neighbors and in society. And so, but because of their complacency, because they were prospering at that time, they often would dismiss these hard words like the prophet Amos would bring. And actually what happened to the northern kingdom? So Amos, he prophesied around the 750 B.C. uh, around that time. And within a few years, there was a lot of political instability that came to the northern kingdom of Israel, where the last six kings or so, like almost all of them were assassinated. And another person made a coup and they took over. There's a lot of instability that came all of a sudden. And then within 40 years of Amos's prophetic ministry, actually the entire nation of Israel, the northern kingdom, They were judged, they were conquered by Assyria, they were taken into exile, and they were never again to return to that land. They were basically erased from the pages of history for good. And it's like, 
Amos' words of judgment, his prophecies, these were no idle threats from the Lord. They, they were hanging over them and saying, you must look at yourselves, you must change, you must turn, because this is how God regards this kind of religion. You know, this is how much justice and righteousness matters to God. Israel's entire purpose and calling as a people, the very reason that God had raised them up, the very purpose for which God had called them, brought them out of Egypt, brought them into the promised land, was that so that they might live out a society, a life together as a community where there existed justice and righteousness and treating their neighbors and brothers and sisters and fellow citizens fairly, where there was justice in the courts, justice in the business dealings, justice on the street. This is the kind of life that God was calling them to, and yet if that very purpose and calling gets so corrupted, then what is the eventual natural end? You know, imagine if you're a farmer or a gardener. I don't know anything about either. But imagine, you know, some of you may be gardeners or you like to, you know, put, it, it takes so much care, so much effort day by day to raise and you check the conditions and how the fruit is growing. And yet, think about it. Let's say again and again, every crop of fruit, every single year, the fruit is so rotted. And you try to salvage it because you think, oh, maybe it's just a part. Maybe we can plant a new crop. Maybe next year it'll be different. And again and again and again, it's just corrupt and rotted to the core. What are you going to do with that fruit? What are you going to do with that seed? You're not going to keep planting it. You would toss that. You're going to get rid of it because it's not fulfilling the purpose of what the fruit is for. And God is grieving over his people and saying, this is not what I've called you to live like. This is not who I've called you to be. If you're not going to listen, you're saying you long for the day of the Lord. It's going to be a day of darkness and not light. It's like ominous words hanging over them. See, this is what Amos was talking about. This is what God rejects, a religion without justice and righteousness. But the second thing we see is what God seeks. So if that's what God rejects, what does God seek? And for this one, we're going to look a little more deeply at the Micah passage. And so in the prophet Micah, it starts off like this, where the people of God are coming before him. And they say in verse 6, with what shall I come before the Lord? Basically, they're asking the question, what does God want from me? What is he seeking? What does he desire? And you got to understand the context of Micah because his context is a little bit different. He prophesied a generation after Amos. And if Amos prophesied to the northern kingdom, Micah prophesied to the southern kingdom, Judah. And so actually, it was during the years of Micah's prophetic ministry that the northern kingdom was actually conquered and exiled. And so if the northern leaders could be hard-hearted and complacent, the southern kingdom receiving Micah's words, it felt a little more real. The threats of judgment were like, oh, snap, the northern, what? Like they got exiled? They actually got conquered? God's very own people? And yet the southern kingdom still felt like, no, but we're the true people of God in the northern kingdom. They went wrong in all these ways, but we are the people of David. We're Judah. We're the southern kingdom. And so, you know, a little bit of a different context, but actually Assyria during that time of Micah's ministry, Assyria was strong again. They were conquering not only Israel, but a lot of these other nations throughout that region. 
And so it's during this kind of time where you can imagine the people of Judah coming to God, coming to the prophet Micah and saying, okay, what do we have to do? What is God looking for? Man, we need to be delivered. We need to be protected. We need to be saved. What does God want from us? We will bring it. And so this is what the people say. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, calves a year old? You know, calves a year old were very expensive. They were like the premium cut, the best sacrifices that they could bring that was prescribed in the law. Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with 10,000 rivers of olive oil? Do you, do you hear a little bit of the sarcasm? <laughs> a little bit of the agitation? Maybe even a little bit of defiance from the people like, what, is, what does God want? We'll bring it. Okay, does he want calves a year old? Okay, does he want thousands of rams? Okay, how about 10,000 rivers? Like just one river of olive oil is not enough. They're just going all out. They're exaggerating. They're like, all right, 10,000 rivers of olive oil. What does God want from us so that we could get his protection and favor? And then, man, the last thing they say just shows how distorted their religion had become. The last thing they say is, shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? You know, it's interesting because during that time, one of the kings, uh, Ahaz, during whose reign Micah prophesied, Ahaz actually brought in foreign religious influences, and he actually offered his sons. That practice actually started to happen during that time. How corrupt their view of God was becoming. And they're saying, what do we have to do? What, do we, what is God seeking from us? Do we need to bring all these tens of thousands of sacrifices, rivers of oil, even our firstborn children to show how serious we are in our commitment? And, man, you know, I, you know we got to say, at least, like they, like, they seem to mean at least their commitment towards bringing sacrifices. Because these things are very costly. And yet... It is exposed as so corrupt, so wrong-headed, so wrong, because obviously this is not what God is wanting. They're just wanting to placate God. They're just wanting to satisfy God so that they can get what they want, so that they could continue their lives. But what is God seeking? See, in verse 8, God responds through the prophet Micah, He has shown you, O mortal, He's kind of putting them in their place, like, oh, mortal, I've already told you what is good. You're going to talk that way to me? He has shown you, oh, mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. See, what is God seeking? He's not seeking sacrifices, however expensive and costly they might be. He's not looking for religious devotion that doesn't involve a transformation of our very lives and the way that we're living. See, God cannot and refuses to be bought, no matter how high the price. The people of Judah were like, okay, God, name your price. Everyone has their price. We'll pay you. We'll bring what you need. And actually, it, it reveals how some of the society was working back then. It was so corrupt that everyone had their price. The prophets had their price. The priests had their price. The, the government politicians and the judges, they all had their price. Micah talks about that in the other chapters of his book. 
It's like everyone has this pride. Okay, God, you must be just like all those others. There's no such thing as justice. There's just bribery. There's just corruption. Everyone has their price. And God is like, I refuse to be bought. I cannot be placated just by sacrifices and expensive offerings. No, I'm looking for justice. I'm looking for mercy and faithfulness. I'm looking for you to walk humbly your whole life to be lived out in accordance with my ways, my will. Man, there's such rotting at the heart of not just the northern kingdom, but the southern kingdom here. And so that's why these prophets have to bring such strong words to the people of God, a life of justice and mercy. And so what does that look like? Uh, They talk about it a little bit, what they're looking at. You remember the picture that Amos used? He says, let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never-failing stream. That's such a beautiful picture, uh, famous lines that uh, MLK quoted from in his I Have a Dream speech. But a couple things we see here is justice is supposed to roll on. So that means it's going to be abundant like a river, not just a little bit, not just occasional and intermittent. Because in those days in the desert, there were like these wadis that were like small little streams, rivers that would show up sometimes when it would rain a lot. But for much of the year, you know, there wouldn't be much uh, uh, water in it. And, And Amos is like, no, we need, I want your justice to roll on like a river. Righteousness like a never-failing stream. It's abundant. It's continual. It's perpetual. Perpetual. It's not occasional or intermittent. And secondly, you think about a stream or, or a river in the desert. What does it do? It brings life. It brings healing. If you ever watch those nature shows with David Attenborough and you, you see like the desert and then just water, a season of water comes through and the, everything comes to life. All the plants are thriving and flourishing and the entire environment changes. And that's what God is saying is justice is like rivers through the desert that brings life and healing and flourishing to a community and to a society. Without it, everything dries up like a trickle. And life can't thrive. And the, and the poor and the needy and the vulnerable, they can't flourish. But when justice is present, it brings life. It brings flourishing. And God is saying, I want this all the time. All year round. Continual, abundant rivers of justice. Let it flow. You know, one of the places that the northern kingdom, Israel, where they worshipped and where they had all their uh, uh, sacrifices was this place called, city called Gilgal, uh, which was actually named uh, when Israel first came into the promised land. Because Gilgal sounds like the word for roll. And when Israel first came into the promised land, they named it Gilgal because God said, I have rolled away the shame of Egypt, of your past. And yet, they're still continually coming to Gilgal, but there's no justice rolling out from their lives and their worship. And the prophet Amos is saying, all this rolling in, rolling out, what I'm looking for is let justice roll out from your lives, from your worship. You know, that word justice in the Hebrew, mishpat, uh, you may be familiar, uh, it, it captures uh, not only a negative call to stop oppression, to stop 
bribery, to stop perjury and all these things, but also a positive call. It calls for a sense of responsibility towards the weaker members of society. It insists on the rights of others. That's the call to justice. You know, another word uh, that Micah uses is not only to act with justice, but to love mercy. And that word for mercy there in the Hebrew is actually uh, a word that describes God's covenant love towards his people. It's the word hesed. It's a word that's hard to capture in, uh, simply in English, but it has to do with a, a steadfast, committed, devoted love and faithfulness that will not change, that will not stop, that's full of warmth, full of affection, full of devotion. It's this hesed, and God is saying, I want you to live that out too in your life. See, basically, God is calling them, calling their lives to reflect what his love and justice has looked like to them. God's like, I delivered you. If you look at Micah a few verses earlier, he says, I'm the one who brought you out of slavery. I'm the one who delivered you from all your enemies. I did all these things for you. I showed you hesed, steadfast love. I want you to show that to the rest of your neighbors and to the world. You're supposed to live out the way that I have lived towards you. And, you know, it's interesting. Uh, in Amos, one chapter earlier, we didn't get to read this, but Amos chapter 5, no, actually just a few verses earlier, uh, in chapter 5, verse 15, it says, God is looking for justice in the gate. Or the NIV translates it, justice in the courts. Because that's what the gate was in those days. The city gate was where a lot of the justice and the courts and the uh, judicial dealings happened. And what we see here is that God is not only concerned with our individual personal justice in our own lives, but God actually cares also about justice in society. See, not just personally and privately, but he says justice in the gates, justice in the courts, in the way that society actually works, in the way that, I'm going to use a word here that you know, has been controversial, but in the way that systems in society actually work today. God is calling for justice. His people are supposed to seek to embody and manifest and help bring that out in the world. See, God's heart is provoked not just by our personal sins, but by the state of society. Justice in the courts, justice in business, in the markets, justice in the gate. And, you know, I love the way one commentator put it. He said, the presence of the poor and oppressed Witnesses to our failure to please God. In a society, if you see the presence of the poor and oppressed, that is a witness and a testimony of our failure to please God. It's like, oh, snap. And these are the things that God is pointing out. This is what God is seeking. A life and a society where justice and righteousness are established. And so what do we do from here? Because, you know, Amos, it's, it's funny, the kind of picture he painted uh, in verse 19 and 20. He says, the day of the Lord is like you're running from a lion. It's like, oh, I got away. And then a bear comes. And then you get away from the bear and you get inside the home. And you finally you can breathe and relax. And you lean against the wall. And then a snake just comes out. How did it get inside? And it bites you. And it's like the day of the Lord is coming. You can't run from it. You can't escape from it. No, the only thing you can do is turn it towards it, face it. 
and repent and change your life. That's the only way that we can face this day of the Lord. And so third point, very short, where does this kind of life and society come from? You know, I said earlier, it's supposed to be an outflow of God's justice and love towards us. We didn't get to read Micah 6, verse 1 through 5. But it describes how God delivered his people from slavery. Man, that's, that's justice. That's mercy. They're going through the desert. There were all these enemies like Balaam and Balak trying to oppress them, trying to attack them, trying to kill them. And God's like, I protected you all there. He says, I gave you Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. I gave you godly leaders. But look at your leaders now. But he's saying, your whole entire life as a people, remember everything I've done for you. All the justice, all the mercy, all the hesed that I've shown you. And you know, one thing encouraging is you see that actually in the prophet Jeremiah, in chapter 26 of Jeremiah, they, they look back on the preaching of Micah and, says, and they say, actually, Hezekiah, the king, repented at the preaching of Micah. Because, man, Assyria was starting to annex one city after another in Judah. All the cities were falling. Assyria was so mighty, so powerful. And there was one city left, Jerusalem, and Assyria came to the very gates And then Micah prophesied judgment, and Hezekiah turned. He repented. He brought the nation to a reformation. And then what did God do? God delivered Judah when there were one city left. The Syrians were sent away. God routed them, and he delivered them. He was faithful to his word. Judah and Hezekiah turned and changed so that God spared them. And yet, this is a high call that we're called to. And yet, thankfully, for us who are living on the other side of the cross, where we have the life and the death and the revelation of Jesus and all that he has met, we see in the life of Jesus, look at his life, all throughout his life and ministry, such care for the weak and the poor and the vulnerable. Never too busy for them, always turning his heart, always healing, always also at the same time speaking harsh words to oppressive leaders, religious leaders, political leaders, unafraid to speak words of truth and judgment from the Lord. Because Jesus was one who embodied justice and mercy in his life. You know, the picture of Lady Justice, where justice is blind, she's blindfolded. And so justice is impartial. I think a better picture that we see in Scripture is justice. The way it looks is you're not blind, but you have one arm pushing away the oppressor and then the other arm stretching out towards the weak and the poor. And that's the kind of life that Jesus lived out. And yet, even though he was the only one who could actually meet the standard of justice and righteousness to which God has called each of us, even though he was the only one who lived out a life of perfect justice on the cross, he received the judgment. He received the exile from away from the Lord's presence. He received the judgment and the wrath that each of us deserved for our injustice, for all the ways that we have been corrupt, 
the ways that we have mistreated our fellow neighbors, our fellow brothers and sisters, the ways that we have turned a blind eye and sought only our self-interest. And Jesus took that all upon himself. And he says, look at the mercy, the hesed, the love that's pouring out to you from the cross, his blood flowing, rolling out in love towards us. And he says, if you see what Jesus has done, if you hold to that and look to that and find your hope and trust in Jesus, then he, by his word and by his spirit, will begin to renew, reform, transform, change us not only individually, but give us the power as a community and as a people, what we're seeking to do, demonstrate what God's community and society should look like. See, that's the calling, where this comes from. And so we see what God rejects, what God seeks, and where this comes from. And so, brothers and sisters, let's hear the words of Amos and Micah, because there is a day that is coming once again, a day that's coming in the future when the just judge, when the merciful king, Jesus, will come again, and he will cleanse and remove all those whose lives are flowing out with injustice and unrighteousness. But he will defeat all his enemies, make all things right, and bring us into his secure, flourishing kingdom where he reigns and where all people can find peace. And so let's keep our eyes on him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for these words. Sometimes hard words, you speak to your people. Um, but, Father, I pray that they would be words that if any of us need to be uh, stirred, that it would convict and provoke us. If any of us need comfort and strength, I pray that these words would be that as well. And I pray that you would help us, each of us individually, but also Redeemer East Harlem as a community, as they have even indeed been for me just an example and a light of what such a community should look like. Help them by your spirit to grow more and more, to be your light, to reflect you in East Harlem as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Redeemer East Harlem podcast. For more information on our church and how you can support what God is doing through our church, go to www.reh.nyc.